Hello, this is Brian from Living in the End Times with Amos and X. As always, thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to follow us on social media. Give us a favorable rating on the podcast app of your choice, say CastBox or Podcast Republic. And most importantly, support us through Patreon at patreon.com slash endtimespodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash endtimespodcast, one word. And thank you in advance.
Good evening, Amos. Good to hear your voice. Likewise. Yes. We're, uh, we're days away from a trip. Yeah, we're headed to L.A., sunny Southern California. <laughs> we're going to go see uh, the literally the motherland, the land of Marianne Williamson. Yeah. We're going to try to run into her. Hashtag mommy. <laughs> um, yeah, we're... Uh, I'm excited. I've never been to California. Sure. To my own chagrin. I am too. I'm excited. I've been to Fresno, but that doesn't really count. Yeah, probably not. That's it. So, so yeah. Although I was on a habit, this is in college, I was in a Habitat for Humanity sort of distance, you know, poverty, slumming it sort of trip. And we met uh, the dude who was managing the H4H um, complex in Fresno or the house or the organization is this old punk guy from DC who played in bands and played with Fugazi and like trench mouth Fred Armisen's band. And it was kind of interesting. At least I got to hang out with him for mm-hmm. a week. Yeah. But that was my experience there. Didn't even build a house. <laughs> oh, fuck it. Um, <laughs> fuck Jimmy Carter. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, it's like, I watch a lot of movies, uh, a lot, a lot of movies mm-hmm. and, for whatever reason, it wasn't until the last like few years that I started to notice that they're all set in like California, New York, sure. generally. Um, and that was never a like a bad thing. It was just for whatever reason, it struck me as arbitrary until I listened to a lot of Mark Maron's podcasts, which is the main value of which to me was seeing how um, these different famous people or different like creative people were connected via like they you know, come through the same theater company or they'd, um, they'd landed in the same places and stuff. And then realizing like, Oh, and maybe this is obvious, but to be able to see the kind of the infrastructure socially of how these people are all connected and they mm-hmm. all live in LA if they're making movies or mm-hmm. New York or whatever. Um, and so it's been, that's just been really interesting. Like even the, there's a Joan Didion documentary on Netflix that was really good. And, like Harrison Ford was like hanging out with Joan Didion, like doing construction work on her house, deciding mm-hmm. if he's going to be an actor and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it's like, oh, okay, so all these like th- this hyper glamorous like set of people um, who <laughs> used to include writers, but that's kind of right. fallen off. Um, even all of these people were like friends, and that those are real places that exist. It's just kind of like a surreal thing. So it's it's cool to notice that or what be aware of that going in beyond mm. the like obvious like oh movie stars live in beverly hills type of thing yeah. but just seeing how people get connected and right. get into what they get into like tom hardy for instance uh reading his bio it's like how did this like he's like uh, of his generation one of the most powerful actors um in terms of like talent or whatever you want mm-hmm. But it's just like, oh, he was just doing like theater in London and right. like he was just being a nerd. And then right. now he's like a huge movie huge, star, yeah. which is cool. That's good. I was going to say, the, the, isn't the Han Solo story that uh, Harrison Ford was just doing carpentry work for, um, for George Lucas, essentially? Yeah. And this is after he'd been in, I don't know, what was he in? Like some of those Francis Ford Coppola films like uh, The Conversation and maybe, maybe he's in Apocalypse Now just a tiny bit, mm, right? Probably. Um, so yeah. he, and, this is, and so he's doing carpentry work. And ends up being Han Solo. And so I was going to ask you, to that point, is it still like that? Or you're right. saying it's it's different now? Well, um, I think... In it, terms of the, the scene you described where people just grew up together and knew each other in this sort of social milieu. Um, well, it's more like... I think it's the same story in the level of, like, 
people go to LA and that either works or that it doesn't work. Sure. Um, like Joe Rogan talks about that a lot, like how most comedians have a story of them like sleeping in their fucking car at yeah. the, you know, they, at the comedy store, they'll let them like sleep there in the car and then they'll, you know, eventually like maybe get on stage and then eventually maybe later get a job and then they're okay or they get rich or whatever. Um, but that they can like, I do think it still happens as far as like how much harder it is. I don't, I don't really have a sense of that. And I think it's the the kind of glory of it is that it really is contingent at some Mm. level. Like I think the difference now is it's so fucking expensive to live there that it becomes like a, a class thing. Um, and, and people have talked, I think one of my friends had mentioned that on the, I think it was the Kathy Griffin, either Mark Marin or just an interview with her. She's like, the dirty secret is that all these actors and stuff, their parents are paying their rent for years. Sure. Um, so there is, that's very real, but I also don't, um, I don't think that that's like a hard limit. Uh, but it's probably like, uh, so the, a more recent example of a kind of like cr- crew that emerged. And I was just talking generally. I wasn't, I just thought it was interesting how people mm. either, maybe they became friends probably after they got successful too, but like somebody like Seth Rogen, who was 16 doing stand up in mm-hmm. Vancouver yeah, and supporting his family, I believe um, he got, he got discovered somehow by Judd Apatow and then uh, brought out, and then his Jay Bucharel, Bar- Barakel, I'm not going to try to do the Yiddish pronunciation, was uh, similarly kind of oriented. And Seth Rogen's parents, interestingly, like these very like hardcore socialist Jews. Like I think they might mm-hmm. even lived in a kibbutz at some oh, point. Oh, sure. Um, but now Seth Rogen, who is like by any stretch of the imagination, no, no conventional movie star, but obviously is very successful. Mm -hmm. He has four fucking shows on TVs, like running, I think. Um, and so there's like, and he's not like a confident person or Mm -hmm. anything. So it's just, it's kind of, you know, that whatever the fantasy of Hollywood or that dream is still like, possible a little bit you know even if it just totally cynically because it makes these studios money sure um i think the the ability to make movies like in the way that they were made in the 70s is pretty much gone now unfortunately Mm -hmm. just because of how the studio system changed in the 80s and 90s but um i also but but the other side of that is like a lot of the way that comedians are getting more exposure is that they're just starting podcasts and then getting a following. Um, like Theo Vaughn's really big now and he started off as he was on like road rules like mm. 15 years ago and it took him like 10 years to shake that association because he's wow. a stand up comedian and he is very funny, but Sam Tripoli's like, I told him to start a podcast and then it just exploded. Yeah. Um, so I think there's like, there's new openings, uh, which is pretty cool. And, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, that's, that's just from the outside perspective. Like it seems more romantic than I'm Mm -hmm. sure it largely is, but, uh, it, it'll be, I'm just, I'm just interested to be in the vicinity of it and see how, Mm -hmm. if that makes it more tangible since I focus so much of my consciousness on like analyzing movies philosophically and politically and shit. So Mm -hmm. 
Well, I mean, to that point, in any case, if uh, Amos and X will be in L.A., and if we, if this podcast suddenly ends because we're big stars, don't be surprised. Yeah, especially in his, I have sort of a, <laughs> he, he looks more like a movie star than oh, I do. please. So. Well, <laughs> um, much obliged. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so, so, yeah, um, we were, so, I mean, the part, this conversation is relevant, too, insofar as uh, we were hoping at this, uh, on this episode to discuss uh, media stuff, generally speaking, in media on the left and why the left has sort of struggled to break through in the way that the right did. And, and the fact that it seems to, you were saying off air, the right seems to take, the left spent a lot of time on this media theory, theorizing stuff in the 80s and you know, the Birmingham type school, for those who know what that is, you know, English, you know, Marxist sort of media theory and all that. In um, Frankfurt School before that, the German Adorno stuff. Um, the left was theorizing about that. The right just did it. Like, they took that seriously and went with it, and, mm-hmm. and it was effective politically in ways that the left has just not even been able to accomplish. And that's, that's been obviously to, our, <laughs> to the world's detriment, but um, we wanted to go into that a bit. Right. Yeah, so <clears throat> I was watching um, uh, the, the Great Hack or whatever about yep. Cambridge Analytica. And I watched that now, too, finally. Oh, you did? Okay, yep, so... so. Um, so this is a documentary about Cambridge Analytica, and so there's the initial whistleblower who was in the Guardian. That dude with like uh, dyed hair, and he's like a vegan and stuff. Sure. Um, and he testified before Parliament, but he's like, "You need to talk to this other woman. She mm-hmm. was like, the she was the real like playmaker or whatever." Yeah. And this woman finally came forward to expose that the CEO had been working directly with the Trump campaign. She had all like all these records of those interactions from her own schedule and going back years. Uh, she had started out running Obama's uh, Facebook page when she was very young. Like, I don't even know if she was 19. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, and then had been gotten a job with Cambridge Analytica, but there's a connection there. They didn't really go into this, but Obama was, maybe they touched on it. Obama was using Cambridge Analytica's mm-hmm. social media penetration tools in 2012 uh, to help micro-target ads. And so just to listen to the podcast are probably aware of the story, but basically uh, Cambridge Analytica was backed, I believe, by Robert Mercer, who was this sort of arch-Trump supporter via Steve Bannon, Mm -hmm. who was running this crazy hedge fund that was, I think at times making 40% every year, which is like, fuck it. That's not real. That's like, you're controlling the weather practically. Um, and Cambridge Analytica, a lot of what they were doing is, so they had built, they had built user profiles, uh, with, I think what 500 or 5,000 data points per person Mm -hmm. for every voter in America. And the way they did this was, they got people to take these like personality tests mm-hmm. and quiz things on Facebook, like these like kind of like just time waster things that are kind of interesting that lots of people use. But and then they ask like, okay, well, we need access to your profile to, for you to do this, and most people would just do it. But it wasn't everybody in the country. I think it was only like twenty or forty million people, which is a lot. But what they were doing is by allowing them access to their own profile that thereby allowed them access to all their friends profiles. Mm -hmm. And so Cambridge Analytica built this Leviathan data set to profile every voter in America, basically. Um, 
90 some plus percent of I think they said they had everybody but I mean you know there's probably some outliers or whatever and what they were the scary part is they weren't just like targeting ads at people they were micro targeting ads at very specific people who they had determined via this aggregation of data points and like I don't know. I mean, they were probably using machine learning and AI, but it was like, I mean, it's pretty easy to kind of like, once you have sort of a metric of how people are voting, you can figure out what they're, where they are, uh, where they're at. Usually if they're being sort of forthright on Facebook, which I don't recommend. Um, but the, they, so they built out these user profiles and they could tell where these people were. And then they focused on the people who were like swingable or whatever. Um, in swing states specifically and then they were they were crafting based on how these people were responding to ads specific to that person they were able to alter uh and nuance the ads over time Mm -hmm. to make them more susceptible to voting for trump or whatever and obviously this this had a huge effect and so like all this bullshit about russia and all the i mean Cambridge Analytica was one version of this real danger of like not really having a democracy mm-hmm. when it's mediated through a private tyranny, i.e. a private corporation like Facebook that's engaging in public, that is mediating the public sphere. Uh, okay, so there was that. And then, um, and obviously Bannon was, you know, right there running Trump's campaign, basically, uh, at least for a period of time. Then I watched the Roger Ailes bio biopic series, mini series on uh, Showtime, produced by Jason Blum, who produced Get Out and lots and Sharp Objects and lots of other great stuff. Um, and he, okay, so Roger Ailes is this Fox News CEO monster guy. He started Fox News, and he became and stayed the number one cable news channel for like 14 straight years or whatever, um, maybe longer. And he was sexually harassing and abusing and torturing all these women employees. And I mean, it's just, it's fucking horrifying, but like the, the, what was really compelling about it was as a piece of political art or whatever was that, what was transparently obvious is that Ailes, even though I'm not sure he read this theory that you referenced earlier, all this kind of cultural study stuff, which is a lot of it is based on a misreading of like Stuart Hall and kind of like uh, cherry picking from the Frankfurt school and Marx and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's a lot of good theorizing that went on, but it sort of, it missed the mark in terms of being able to put, it's self-understanding, at least as I was engaging with it, was less about, it was more about cultural resistance than actually trying to take power. And that's uh, that's to our own detriment because it, my experience of that in the late 90s, or well, I guess early 2000s, so it was in the twilight of this kind of perspective was, um, oh, this is just theory where like it's interesting, it's worth thinking about, but you know, how to actually how to actually bring that into the world was kind of beside the point. And I think there's value in that philosophically in general. However, 
the point, what was transparently obvious is that people like Roger Ailes and Steve Bannon took these ideas, they saw the power, potential power of them, and they just weaponized them mm-hmm. directly, and it mm-hmm. worked oh, eventually. Like, you know, because I think, I think it's worth considering that, although obviously, as we've talked about, Trump is the result of neoliberal austerity and... Uh, horrifically cynical and destructive economic policies all over the world and uh, destructive to organized labor in the U.S. and all of that's intentional. Um, would Trump have really been possible without Fox News doing with being on this like propaganda crusade for a decade and a half? Like it's mm-hmm. hard to imagine that that was true, that that could be true. Um, and if that if that's the case, then the the paradox the sort of dialectical horror is the left was right the whole time about this mm-hmm. we just weren't willing to get our hands right. dirty and like bannon says take headshots and try to actually use this to win mm-hmm. um the right it's all a weapon to the right and again like who knows if roger ailes was a media theorist but he was a media theorist he was a media militant in the sense of like taking a certain perspective mm-hmm. and creating reality out of that like what's Mm -hmm. what's repeated in the film um from his like authoritarian position was like we set the narrative we decide what the news is we decide what the story is everybody you get everybody reacting to you then you've won basically um and i was talking to a friend about this some of this like this idea that the let and i on red scare the the girls talked about um, how uh, Anna was like, I don't think you can have a r- strong left with social media. Um, and her argument kind of had, I think had to do with the forum. I can't remember it specifically, so I won't get into it. But my friend was like, the right understood that social media is a completely capitalist enterprise. And they accepted that and played the algorithms. And now they like dominate YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and the left was not willing to engage financially with Facebook. And so organic reach, like his point was like, people are acting like it's 2010 or 12 and it's not because like, and I had, you know, interjected, right. Organic reach stopped working in 2013. He's like, exactly. So the, the, but the left, like, relies on these capitalist mm-hmm. enterprises to accurately represent and give us fair play when we know full well by our own theory and our own understanding of capitalism that that'll never fucking happen, that they're going to shut down everything they can, or if they see it as a threat or anything like that, uh, which they've done, you know, like they shut down what thousands of left-wing Facebook pages and Google like canceled all these left-wing news sites from their search results, more or less, uh, or buried them. And they just have the whole complete lever of power. And my friend had been like, well, what if... But you can't really control the flow of information. So, and I was like, well, they are controlling it. It's just that we don't... We aren't. We don't get to because Mm -hmm. they have these opaque algorithms, meaning these big media platforms, Facebook, Google, Twitter's probably better, but just because journalists actually use it. So it feeds traffic to actually let people see stuff that's relevant. Um, But 
they control the algorithms. They don't show us what those algorithms are. They themselves don't really, like Jordan Peterson had rightly pointed out, they don't. Google themselves is, Google's search algorithm is constantly being updated by hundreds of developers every day. And so they don't have a full understanding. Like it's a black box. They don't know what it's doing. They're mm -hmm. just trying to like tweak it to, you know, whatever, give better outcomes for ad placement and whatever, you know, not piss people off or however that works. Again, we don't fucking know. And so like you add the fact that the, the, the right wing YouTubers know how to use YouTube and are willing to the fact that, and so that's at the sort of user level at the upper levels, they're willing to take over news networks and be ruthlessly biased if for political purpose, proudly so, mm -hmm. and willing to manipulate those very media platforms that they can pay into to, um, you know, manipulate ads and change that course of history, literally. Mm -hmm. The left had all the theory and did all the hard work of, you know, thinking through this, and the right just picked up the toolkit mm -hmm. and ran with it. Mm -hmm. And so it's another example of, like, the left's, perception of their own imp our own impotence is our downfall because we don't recognize the power of these ideas i mean this was something jody dean had pointed out in like 2012 or 13 in the communist horizon uh you know again back when calling yourself a communist was still perceived largely as a joke uh or a socialist in america and she was like we might not, the left might not take this idea seriously, but the right is fucking terrified of communism and they're talking about it constantly. They mm -hmm. see it as the threat that it is and we are the ones who are blinded to it. And this has just been symptomatic of a left, a self-castrating left as long as I've been an adult. Um, just no real sense of trying to win. Uh, the right is sure as fuck trying to win and they're good at it. Mm -hmm. And so getting our hands dirty, I'm not talking about violence. I'm talking about being willing to engage with cynical platforms because it's the only game in town, mm -hmm. fighting the ideological war there and trying to actually win by any means necessary. Mm -hmm. Because the right, again, they take all the leftist militancy. You know, the, the, the right always is stealing the left's culture, whether it's skinheads or... Um, like Zizek points out in, in that film Cabaret, it's all of this like ideas of Nazis just stole leftist ideas of solidarity and even socialism and, and all of these things that binds people together and they just twisted it mm -hmm. and staged like a fake revolution, which mobilized people and gave them absolute power within that context, the Nazis. Um, so the left's in danger of, by ignoring our own power, we hand that power over to the opposition, number one. Number two, we're not taking responsibility for that power, and then it makes it, things get increasingly dangerous. Like, same thing with climate change. If we perceive climate change as an external force coming at us, we're, we're fucked. If we start to perceive it, like I've been arguing for, as a technology that we are continually creating, then we have the opportunity to change the trajectory of that to something that is sustainable or livable or just or the alternative is just to let it run free and then we're all fucked and then but by doing that we get some sort of comfort and like oh we're not as bad because we get how bad it is which is cold comfort 
in a world that's, you know, fucking catching on fire. Without disagreeing with any of that. And I, and I, f- I feel that um, all of that sort of on this show, right, in terms of the, the uh, I was talking off air, it's, and the, the title is, you know, Living in the End Times, number one. That's pretty, pretty serious sounding for a lot of people, but it's also not the type of content that's likely to attract, I could be wrong, uh, a mass audience without a whole lot of um, advertising and money spent and resources on our part, right, to sort of broadcast the show itself. But what I was going to say is I'm agreeing with all of that, but I'm also wondering if, given that we're living in this completely mediated society, anti-society, sort of run by multinational corporations who control that flow of information and the algorithms, and they're all out for money, it's capitalism, et cetera. Are there ways in which, um, are there ways in which it's that much harder for the left if they take themselves seriously in terms of a platform or, um, um, I guess, political positions such as uh, free college, uh, Medicare for all, redistributing wealth. I mean, all that sort of stuff. I mean, if we take that seriously, that's obviously not the kind of content or points of view that those multinational corporations who run this mediated environment are interested in sort of supporting, if that makes sense. Meaning it's much easier for the right to take advantage of the tools available to them because they're just sort of embedded within the structure itself anyway in terms of its logic. I think uh, on its face, that's true. Like we should accept that we've lost at some level um, up to this point. That's mm-hmm. the, I guess what I'm getting at mm-hmm. is, but, but I'm saying that within this context of all this theory that the left developed because we were fucking right, right. but we didn't think that it mattered. Sure. And that's the problem. Right. Um, because what I'm saying is that's why we lost, not because like, the media is all controlled. Sure. The right took that for granted and just try to win control of that mm-hmm. because it's all driven by advertising and mm-hmm. shit anyway. And so we should see something like Fox news and all its debauchery as proof that like, it doesn't fucking matter what you say, as long as you get eyeballs on the screen. Right. Um, so no, I don't accept that. Cause to me, that's, that's fatalism in the direction of like, it's only this right wing stuff that appeals to, large viewerships. We don't know that mm-hmm. we've never tried to win. Mm-hmm. That's the point I'm making. Um, and it's so, I mean, maybe I'm mishearing or misreading what you're saying, but like what, so I guess what is the, what is your point? I'm just or, wondering if that, um, the perspective that has been more successful at this, if that content doesn't necessarily appeal to more people, but it appeals to the corporations controlling, the the flow of information and that makes it that much easier for them to sort of manipulate the 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 economy in that way or the the flow of information in that well, way. Well, it's easier for for Roger Ailes to take control of a news network if he's right wing and that mm-hmm. ideology aligns with capital's goals directly. Sure. But yeah, we don't fucking know if we wouldn't be able to do the same thing. Right. Because we've never tried. Sure. And, and, maybe, and I don't disagree with that. I'm just trying to think of instances from the, the past decade or two where the left did try to do something um, in a serious way that me- media-related or programming or content that wasn't like an MSNBC. And I'm thinking, and this is not even that far left, but you could call NPR, probably not. As Air America, if you remember Air America, mm-hmm. which um, 
a radio sort of broadcast. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking of the Noam Chomsky stuff, too, right? The Manufacturing Consent, which is from 1988, and that film on the show, the film on the book, excuse me, was from 1991 or 92. So we've, I mean, you're right, the left has known about this for a long time and maybe tried to respond with an Air America or otherwise, and it didn't seem to, it didn't seem to be very effective. And again, is, is that because we just weren't? I'm wondering if if you're right in that that just wasn't um, an especially serious attempt on the left's part, and maybe that's the case, or if they tried, but just the, the way in which these media organizations or the technology itself was designed or the, cap, the logic of its, of, it, of its investors, it just didn't allow it to proliferate in the same way. Well, because they weren't doing what Fox News was trying to do. Sure. Fox News was trying to control reality. Air America was reacting to that. Mm. And they were trying to not get their hands dirty sure. by being an alt NPR or whatever, a small scale like talk radio thing. Yeah. If you want to beat fucking Rush Limbaugh, you got to be as ruthless as a Rush right. Limbaugh. When is the left ever in the last, again, in our adult lives until maybe the last fucking like year and a half <clears throat> been willing to call these people out and in a way that isn't just self-congratulating, but that is... Um, calling them the enemy and not apologizing for that because the left, the, and by the left, I'm just mostly what the visible liberal media establishment. Sure. Um, they're constantly trying to have the upper hand morally or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't even know if it, I, I wouldn't argue that they do or even appear to, but they think that that's what they're doing, taking Mm -hmm. the high road. And they think that'll appeal to people, too, in part. And I don't know that it does or Maybe. Not, I, I mean, they seem to think that. I right. don't know why. They don't right. have any fucking evidence of it. But, right. Um, that is the ideology. But the, my point is, like, if you're not willing to take headshots and, like, why aren't you trying to compete with Fox News? Mm-hmm. Why aren't you trying to, you know, make MSNBC truly, like, force get in fights with producers mm-hmm. or get a CEO that maybe might be willing to... F- like, I don't know, just try and manipulate Ted Turner into letting more and more radical people on CNN right. until you have a, exactly. a cable news uh, network that's ex- as explosive as Fox News is, but uh, for the left. Because otherwise you're, you're fucked because mm-hmm. these people aren't playing by the same rules. Mm-hmm. And so they're, meaning Fox News, Roger Ailes, so they're going to win. And then, then you'll hear somebody be like, well, we're just sinking to their level. No, you're already at their level because mm-hmm. their level is fucking winning. Um, and I think that's the problem more than anything. Mm-hmm. Like Air America is a good example of how to do it wrong, right. how to fail because right. they're, they weren't offering anything different. Yeah. Why not just listen to NPR? It's probably less fucking annoying. <laughs> it was definitely less annoying. It's, it's less smug. Yeah. Whatever the, so, I mean, to get to some more current examples then, um, we were again. We were talking off air about something like a unicorn riot, or there's a, you know a democracy now, which has radio and um, television broadcasts and so on. Is that sort of thing moving in the the direction you're talking about, and or have they still just been able to break through because of those questions I'm raising, or or is it just they haven't been around long enough in the same way that Fox has, or with the same number of investors, I suppose, and the resources to sort of back help them proliferate? There? I mean, I can't speak to. Th- why or how that's working because mm-hmm. I don't really know right. um, internally or whatever. Uh, I just think my whole point is, and maybe this isn't clear in terms of what I'm saying, mm-hmm. 
but I feel like I try to make it clear. The reason that we're losing is because they're not willing to play dirty. Sure. And that means trying to win and take power. Yeah. So I'm saying we've already lost. That's already foreclosed. Mm-hmm. And maybe it is structurally impossible within the realm of this version of social media. But that's not that's not an argument for giving up. That's an right. argument for reinterpreting. What's your okay. What's well, your point? My point is I'm not disagreeing mm-hmm. that um I'm not disagreeing with your argument that the left needs to fight dirty or play dirty and try to take actual power. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is have there I'm asking the question if there have been different media outlets that tried to do that, but the way in which the commercial mass media um, political economy is designed um, gets in the way of that or makes it that much harder for them to actually accomplish that um, headshotting than the right. And that's one sort of structural reason which maybe, you know, gets a structural reason that um, is, is, I guess, to be divorced from the actual seriousness of those can, uh, characters on the left and their sort of willingness to play dirty. Um, I think that's the story they tell themselves. Sure. That um, they used, and I'm sure I was guilty of this t- to a degree, mm-hmm. they used all that media theory to suggest that there's no hope and there's no way to yeah. do anything about it. And that's very convenient, mm-hmm. especially if your goal is to continue to write this theory that you don't want to take out into the right. world. Right. Um, <clears throat> and th- the truth is we don't know because nobody fucking tried it. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I don't, I guess I don't care because sure. prove it, then prove that that's true. Prove mm-hmm. it's impossible. Mm-hmm. Nobody, there's no test case for that really. Um, I guess the alternative would be like, if that's true, then how, how is it that RT has like sort of a foothold on the left All right. and <clears throat> is kind of an alternative in the sense that they are willing to at least allow partisan left-wing people on there constantly mm-hmm. for their own cynical reasons. I don't, you know, but from what it sounds like, all the, all the big names on there, the, the personalities on there, they don't get editorial restrictions from RT. Mm-hmm they just get money to do the show or whatever. Um, and that being the case, like that's small time. Mm-hmm. Also like Al Jazeera. So the government mm-hmm. of fucking Qatar is better at being a left-wing media outlet than people in the U S on mm-hmm. the left in the media establishment who have connections yeah. and who are in DC bullshit. Like mm-hmm. that's not possible. Right. So I just think it's another, again, another example of the left telling itself a story about how we can't win sure. when they're not trying. Right. No. Exceptional examples. And that just, I mean, that helps. That helps me. I mean, I already, I bought your argument. Right. I didn't disagree anyway, but it just, it's, it makes it clear to me that we have global examples of outlets that can pull this off. And if it's not happening in this country, they're just not trying. Right. And I mean, so to take an even, I guess, better example on a large like platform or a global stage, Mm -hmm. the intercept, which is just like very small, relatively speaking. Right. Glenn Greenwald is such a threat to the Brazilian government, the biggest, what second biggest country in the hemisphere, Mm -hmm. like a huge global power that's been taken over by like beyond fascist Mm -hmm. forces 
Glenn Greenwald just exposing the corruption that led to this. He's getting threatened and right. has this massive platform. You know, he like goes on Fox News and shit. Like, and this is the other thing about Fox News. This is what scares the fucking shit out of me about the left now. There's all this dust up recently because there were some really kind of embarrassing sounding clips uh, of the DSA convention in Atlanta where these people who seemed like white men who are just like kind of like his it's I mean, it sounded like cartoonishly hysterically like the worst caricature of like the PC left, um, you know, like basically yelling at the delegates because they were clapping and that triggered their, and that was ableist and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Stuff that they've done studies and the only people who care about hyper PC stuff are rich white liberals, basically. Um, and so this was, this became a something for Fox news to make fun of. Mm-hmm. They brought Andrea Nagel on. Who's like a, who's been attacked by the quote unquote radical left as, because she's critical of the, of, of just a transparently like her criticism. She has a criticism of open borders at the level of not that it's a bad thing, but that what are the implications of that? And is that going to cause a massive right wing backlash? If we just do that, if we advocate for that carte blanche and then she's of course attacked as a nationalist and, um, you know, just scorned on the general left, but she's mm-hmm. a serious thinker. I mean, wh- whether or not I agree with her, I don't know. I'd have to like dig into the argument more, but she's very lucid in interviews and makes a lot of sense, at least as a something to consider as a perspective. Well, she went on Tucker Carlson to kind of make fun of what DSA was doing uh, at the convention in these clips. And as she should have, I mean, like, you know, they joke on red. It's funny. Cause I've made this, almost verbatim argument uh, that the girls on Red Scare make <clears throat> about Tucker Carlson. Like th- they had even said like the last, <laughs> the last honest leftist in America or whatever. And I've said, I, as I recall, similar things on the show because that's how pathetic the left is in the mainstream media mm-hmm. is that Tucker Carlson is more lucid and more to the left on anti-imperialism sometimes, even on anti-capitalism sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but Andrew Nagel's getting attacked for going on Tucker Carlson. How about we ask a really stupid question? Why the fuck is Fox News the only outlet that's allowing leftists on TV? Isn't... That'll host a town hall with Bernie. What's that? That'll host a yeah. town hall with Bernie. In Pennsylvania. Right. In a hollowed out, you know... Yeah, who won't plant shooters from Harvard in the audience to try and, like, kill his progressive message. And the reason I bring the Andrew Nagel example up here is to the Glenn Greenwald example. Again, where does Glenn Greenwald show up on TV the most? I would guess it would be Fox, Fox. News and fucking Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. And so my, my joke going back to 2016 was the whole time I was like, Fox News is the only pro-Bernie network on TV. Mm-hmm. Because they were. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of, it's tongue-in-cheek, but it's fucking true. Fox News only would attack Bernie for being a socialist, which only bolstered his view, you know, his his profile. And he was exposing Tucker and all these people were on Fox News were exposing Bernie's ideas via mm-hmm. the town hall, et cetera. Right. But even like on a daily basis to these old boomer voters who probably never heard of them if they're not extremely online, which they aren't. 
Um, and so, like, the paradox is, like, you know, maybe <laughs> just like how um, Clinton Bush, <clears throat> Clinton Bush, Obama maybe created a massive state structure that they might end up handing over to Bernie and Trump handing over to Bernie to fix the world with. It's possible that Roger Ailes built this monstrous machine that is now in the control. Uh, they have a woman CEO, and maybe maybe there's just a shift to like he was playing with fire by sort of engaging these extremely intense arguments and divisive arguments. Maybe that opened it up for Tucker to be able to. He, Tucker can talk about whatever the fuck he wants. He's not he's not really going to get in trouble, and so he can entertain ideas that. Chris Hayes is no longer allowed to, or Rachel Maddow is no longer allowed right. to. Um, and the, which isn't to be like, oh, we should venerate Roger Ailes. No, he should be, he should have been like crucified upside down and hung in this city square. I don't give a shit, but he's a piece of garbage. Um, and all these fuckers could be brought up on war crimes charges for inciting, you know, uh, ag- uh, aggression by the U.S. state. The point is, why is the left so pathetic that I have to look there to even mm-hmm. find examples of this? Right. That's the horror. That's the fucking problem. Right. And so, <clears throat> what, you know, this is the level at which, um, you know, I'm critical of, like, the problem with identity politics and PC stuff is, you know, Zizek's old stuff, old arguments about just, like, it it creates a situation where we're not talking about real problems and that allows somebody like Trump to dominate the conversation and run to the left of Hillary and fucking win. Um, by again, using all the left's tools, all Mm. of our media theory, all of our understanding of how soft power works, all of our understanding of media consolidation and just say, Oh great. Let's just use this to take fucking power. You know, like a, a Trotskyist would have in the fifties and that's how they took over the GOP in the first place. Um, and so like it, every, even Trump's like, and she just made this point in the sixties, the left was like, it was subversive to kind of like swear in public and be gross and weird, but that's not true anymore. But Trump's using those tactics to kind of appeal to this lower common denominator or what, mm-hmm. or get attention or whatever. Um, it's just this, Again, Trump is the ultimate boomer, both in the hippie sense and both in the just now the horrific, like hyper capitalist, yeah. narcissistic fashion. Yeah. Um, and so, in this this world of like this reality TV world, this Twitter world, like that's why only somebody with real ideas like Bernie or AOC can. Uh, do battle against Trump. Trump has already started running Facebook ads against Bernie. Mm-hmm. Now, why would you do that if he wasn't a threat? That's just saying that Bernie's the only thing Trump's scared of. Right. Like on Chapel, they were talking about, or um, he was red scared. I don't know, but uh, I think Chapel like th- th- positing that they're like, I don't even know if Trump's going to show up. If Bernie's the nominee, I don't even know if Trump's going to show up to the debates. Because he can't, he can't win, right. he, and he fucking knows that. Um, and we already have an example of that from 2016. Bernie wanted to debate Trump before mm-hmm. the DNC convention, and Trump, he, at first he played like he was going to, and then he backed out. Mm-hmm. Why would you back out? Because mm-hmm. he's fucking scared of him. Because Bernie has real ideas, and he knows, he knows he can't 
re Trump can't really run to the left of Bernie. He can run to the left of almost everybody else except maybe like Tulsi or Mike Gravel. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, <laughs> this is kind of the... That's, uh, this is another reason why someone like Marianne is a, a dark horse here is because she she's willing to get her hands dirty um, kind of like ruthlessly uh, on uh, in a shameless fashion, um, whatever it is she happens to believe, stating that, you know, with a sense of belief and not apologizing for it. That's Trump can't really beat that. I mean, he will have to um, revert to like really crude sexist shit. And that probably won't play. He didn't even have to do that with Hillary because there was so much ammo that he had on her. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, the, like, as we were talking about off air, thankfully, uh, Joe Rogan had Bernie on. And within the first week or two, Bernie's in the top 10 most viewed Joe Rogan episodes ever. It was the number one, uh, it was the number one YouTube video in the first couple of days. Joe Rogan's never achieved that. Uh, it's definitely the number one podcast video, which Joe Rogan had achieved before. But Bernie is now in the ears of... I know who Joe Rogan's younger listeners are, and they're basically kind of like... I don't even think they have bad intentions, but they're kind of like right-wing dudes. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Joe Rogan is doing a legitimately good public service by exposing these right-wing dudes to... Um, well, a lot of different things like why sleep is important and different things about like psychedelics and how they're useful and how to treat PTSD with hormone therapies and a lot of different health stuff. But more importantly, Joe Rogan's willing to go on his own show and sound like kind of an idiot meathead and ask Bernie meathead questions that Bernie can easily shoot down mm -hmm. and we're already seeing in our own personal lives, hearing about like, oh, wow, that was really cool. Like right. these guys who'd never just been exposed to any of this. Conservative kids, yeah. Right, because of what Andrea Nagel herself write, wrote about in Kill All Normies, which is a kind of an analysis of the online right uh, pre-2016, where she had said in an interview, all right, what if your choice, uh, if your choice is... If you're like a young suburban dude who maybe isn't that popular or doesn't have that many friends, is kind of isolated and whatever, maybe likes to play video games, the political options you're offered online, and this was especially true back then, are either, on the one hand, the left who's telling you that as a white straight dude, you're a piece of shit, you're the problem, you're the source of all problems, you're probably a rapist, uh... You, you hate women, blah, blah, blah. Or the right that's telling you, we understand how you feel. We respect you. We think you deserve, you know, to be cared for right. and so on. What are you going to choose? Right. And that's a, an extremely fucking important point. It's really sad, as Zizek points out. But, like, that's how people are being drawn into this is they're being listened to and cared about. It's just like how white supremacists, and I'm not saying the whole online right is white supremacists. And I make that distinction because that's a reactionary talking point. And it's much more, I think, important to capture the people who aren't that extreme, who probably would be on the left if they actually heard leftist positions articulated well in a way that was inviting to them. Um, but that huge mass of people who are, will be swayed by Bernie by listening to Joe Rogan or whatever, 
if the left's response to those people is you need to shut the fuck up and listen to us and, um, you know, basically like cower because historically white supremacy has, you know, been so oppressive, which I of course agree with. But as uh, I think Hedges pointed out, James Baldwin said, and James Baldwin's no like radical leftist by any means, but even James Baldwin was like, when I'm talking about white supremacy, I'm talking about Chase Manhattan. He's not talking about poor white people. He is talking about structural uh, oppression, exploitation that fucks everybody over, fucks black people over worse, but fucks everybody over. Um, the left has no sense of that, like attempt to open the door to other people. And that's the reason like shit like happened at the DSA convention is fodder for somebody like Tucker Carlson. And we should just be looking at that and being like, okay, that's a weakness that they can exploit. We just need to, f we need to solve this problem. We need to figure out how to, and the way the DSA would solve this is it, and they did adopt, you know, some pretty good positions, but and I've not understood this the you know since 2016 as i've said before on the show why the fuck isn't your sole focus medicare for all if your sole focus was on medicare for all you wouldn't have gone from 30,000 members in 2016 to 60,000 members in 2019 you would have gone from 20,000 members to probably 500,000 members 500,000 democratic socialists in america can take over the whole country easily they've already taken they've already they already have um you know a caucus or whatever in the Chicago city council, we already have a Senate seat or, or a congressional seat or two. We already have city council bo seats and school uh, board and state, that, yeah. uh, state, uh, state reps and all that. Um, if you, if you actually follow what the people want and focus on those platform planks and sell it that way, you're going to explode. People are ready for that, but no, they're still mired in all of this, old school political party bullshit, which is, is it's a fucking death trap. And we know that from how corrupt the unions have become in this country and some of them. Um, but the, that is fundamentally the problem on the left because the right is always unified top to bottom. They have no, even if they disagree with each other, they generally kind of like are like, Oh, this is the left's our enemy. Mm -hmm. The way the left perceive their own enemy is to oftentimes say, Oh, we need to see from their perspective. No, we just need to understand demographically that the reason a lot of people voted for Trump was not because they're fascists and we need to quit calling them that we need to understand that even if they were explicitly racist and that's what Trump drummed up, we need to understand that that racism is the product of economic exploitation. So the reason it's Bernie or bust is because it's only Bernie who's got a plan to actually enact any of this shit and is willing to die on fall on the sword if need be to do it. That's the only possible way we get there. And if we can sell that to the middle of the right and all mm. those young people, then we're in a position to actually fucking win. But if we continue on this path of, you know, identity politics as the, the gold standard for what it means to be a leftist, we're, we're stuck in bourgeois sell, masturbatory bullshit. Even though those are speaking to real issues, that, that methodology of pure PC stuff appeals to no one except people who are already liberal bourgeois people. Maybe it's a definitional question for me. So, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. And again, I, folks on the far left, you know, the democratic socialists and so on, I agree that they have much more in common with a Tucker Carlson than, say, a Rachel Maddow. And maybe that's, 
maybe that's where I'm getting hung up or other people do is that, you know, the CNNs and MSNBCs and NPRs, that's not the left. And maybe we shouldn't right. call them the left. No. Um, and so, and if that's the target of the right, I think in a way you and I agree what they're targeting is more sort of moderate liberalism um, than the far left. Uh, and we and so we're united, I guess, in that regard, attacking this moderate liberalism, which is kind of, well, as we know, incredibly problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, the core of the neoliberal sort of move, right? Um, and so, I don't, I don't know that we've seen a serious left, and that, this doesn't contradict your earlier point about you know playing dirty. I don't know that we've seen a serious left in the mass media, again, maybe for those reasons described before, but uh, so what I was going to get at is, are there, is this, is the way out, um, or one of the, one of the potential solutions here, the kind of thing we're doing right now, right? So there's not to jump all or lump all of us together as politically the same, but you've already mentioned Joe Rogan, Chapo, um, the show we're doing Red Scare. And so on all these podcasts that are talking about the, these ideas in a serious way, mm-hmm. Is this perhaps um, the way that we can play dirty and sort of reach a mass audience through a Facebook by manipulating it in those cynical ways or Twitter and so on? Right. Well, yeah, I think there's um, I think what all the stuff we've said in the past about sort of venerating Joe Rogan as a format and stuff is still true at the level of like there really is no one that can control it. And he's, you know, as much as he annoys me, uh, he's right that like and and he's sort of. um it should be respected at a certain, like, even right. macho level I that agree. he's just like, I don't, I come in here and say whatever the fuck I want. Mm-hmm. Nobody's telling me what to do. That it's sort of the Rousseau point about how, like, the way to serve the collective is to follow your own self interest. Um, that paradoxically, that, you know, leads to a social good. Um, so I agree with you, but what I would just add to that is, People who are on the kind of dirtbag left, like, you know, Chapel Red Scare, et cetera, us, hopefully, um, or pine to be, is that, uh, and this is what I think DSA has succeeded in doing, even though it's maybe not its stated goal, which is to cultivate uh, what Zizek called for in Living in the End Times, uh, notes toward a communist culture, mm-hmm. that in the first instance, what we need is we need uh, a cultural renaissance open to unapologetic socialist communist currents without being reactionary and sort of uh, self-referentially living in a space where we don't give a shit how we sound and if it pisses everybody off, good. That's what I think the power of Chapo is and Red Scare is that they're just like, this is who we are, and we're doing it. And if you don't like it, that's then fuck off. That's fine. But um, without having to constantly perform all this PC shit that people don't, that are people who are kind of, I think, are generally cynical because it's a way to not talk about class war, uh, class struggle. It's that's the solution on the cultural commentary side. Like this, hopefully, is. You know, and Chapo's like a, got way more exposure and Red Scare, and they're bigger and good for them because it's great. That's the real left talk radio. That's what Air America should have been doing the mm-hmm. whole time, and they might have had a chance to really penetrate. Um, While well, by by sort of doing what Rush does, which is 
be like say crazy offensive shit sometimes, but then also have like a real or at least the semblance of a real political program mm -hmm. and take ideas seriously and try to be critical at the level of ideas. Um, that doesn't solve the journalism problem. Mm -hmm. The journalism problem, though, is solved by lo what we're seeing in the last year with um, what was it? San Antonio Daily Press or whatever. Whoever was in Texas who local press broke that huge independent Baptist church sex uh, scandal that like basically is on this for that denomination uh, on the scale of the Catholic church. Uh, and as well as this Epstein thing, the Epstein, the only reason the Epstein thing got to where it is, is because there's a reporter or reporters at Miami Herald who just refused to give up the story. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's again, back to what is the revolutionary subjectivity? It's whistleblowing in the, on the cultural side, it's DSA as a, as a kind of formal move. I, I just don't think DSA is a political party. Um, I think they kind of see themselves that way, but I don't, that doesn't, it's very, once you try to get down to what their positions are, it gets very ambiguous. So I think it is more of a cultural thing and that's fine mm -hmm. because then you have, you know, 16, 18, 22 year olds with something to sink their teeth into and say, I'm a yeah. socialist and so are right. these people. And that's good. It's not only okay. That's the way it should be. They're being asked to read Marx in the park, you know, in Sunday, right. et cetera. Yeah. In North Dakota. Right. Uh, and they're presumably showing up <clears throat> and, uh, and so like having that experience, having a way to engage with these ideas directly because the, 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 um, the main listeners of chapel are, people in their mid twenties. So it is younger people mm -hmm. who are, um, hooking into this. And I think the precursor to that again was like the memes as a, you know, 2014, 15, like memes and probably segments of Twitter that made, created the, the ground for this, um, so communist culture to start to reemerge in public life unapologetically. But then you still need, you still need a real reportage to blow the, sh blow the lid off of this stuff. And that's what I think the intercept is, you know, maybe not a hundred percent successful at, but generally mm -hmm. successful at right. just doing old school journalism. Right. It's like Jimmy Dore says, like when his comedy friends ask him, how did you do this? How did you get so big? And he's like, Oh, it's simple. He's like, nobody will tell the truth about Syria. So if you go tell the truth about Syria, all of a sudden you're the best journalist in the country, right. which is, you know, it's like a joke kind of, but he's, it's literally exactly what happened. And as he endlessly repeats, he's like, if I like when this, when Mueller was being grilled for the last time and he was pretending not to know answers to really basic questions and the fucking senators were even like, these are not gotcha questions. I just need you to verify this thing. Um, Jimmy Dore's constantly like you think these people didn't know that you think Mueller didn't know that you know how I know he does because I fucking figured it out and I'm a moron like he's always like if a jagoff nightclub comedian can figure this shit out you fucking know that they know it so they're full of shit and that's really important that's like Edward R. Murrow shit mm -hmm. um, it, to, to the degree that Murrow was even that important but I think he was only because there were so few outlets for mass media at the at scale, <clears throat> unlike the internet now, but, um, there needs to, that, that just needs to proliferate, I think. And 
I think the more that it does, the paradox is like the weaker, like listening to Red Scare, for instance, which is probably my favorite podcast now, like hearing people able to kind of be at home with themselves and their own ideas and talk about things that are maybe ambiguous or not clear, that makes the left stronger, not weaker. So it's not that we need to be like violently polemic all the time. It's that by being willing to not know things or test out ideas that we maybe reject later or call ourselves retards or whatever the fuck it is, um, not be PC when obviously the intent is not ill and it's self-directed or whatever. The, the effect of that is that we are able to penetrate more effectively. Andrew Nagel and Tucker Carlson, or um, Glenn Greenwald on Tucker Carlson are not a hindrance or a, it doesn't wound the left. It improves our stature, mm-hmm. not because we're on Fox News, but because now these people are forced to listen to us yeah. at least a little bit. And so like as an opening, I think that it's, you know, you're saying, are we part of the solution kind of? I think so because I can't imagine something. I don't know what else would be up to the task except trying to proliferate and penetrate kind of like a fungus, you know, grow like a fungus into the world. Um, until finally they're just speaking our language. Yeah. Well, to that very point, I suppose, let's take, uh, I know you're not a delusion and I don't blame you, but I, I, the one thing I take from that stuff, uh, Gilles Deleuze, French theorist, is the, the rhizome, right? This sort of you're underground and you just kind of grow and you sprout up at any place at any time and no one knows where you're coming from or what you're going to do or how you're going to sort of demonstrate your agency or whatever, and I've, I've wanted the left to do that for a long time, um, to, be so, to be more decentralized and more uh, unpredictable. Right. right. Um, and that's maybe what's happening in a, this sort of venue. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's okay. Like, I'm not anti-Deleuze as such, but I don't, think, <laughs> sure. I don't think Deleuze... I mean, you look at even his life, he finally, at the end of his life, comes back to Marx. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, he's, right, he's basically still on the team, but like... <laughs> Um, Unlike Foucault. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but the I think the problem with Deleuzians is that the way that they the way that this was acted out, and and this is what's weird, is like you don't really hear about anarchists reading Deleuze, but mm-hmm. all anarchism in the postmodern era was Deleuzean. It was an, yeah, it was capitalism and schizophrenia or whatever. But it took the they took it so literally yeah. that it wasn't perceived as um, as a pure as a stage in a transitional period because once you take power or in a position to do that and you don't do it, somebody else will. Mm-hmm. And so that's like the the hard lesson of politics, and it shouldn't even be a hard lesson, but it, for the left, it has been. If we're if we if we have the better analysis and we have the momentum and the power to take power, we have to do it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, someone right. else will, and. No one, liberals are constant. That's why I was always, to me, seemed that anarchists were always just extremist liberals. And then I found out reading that Hedges write up on Lenin's thought that Lenin had made the same argument a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he called them liberals with bombs, but given their, you know, propaganda, the deed era, um, but basically arguing that it's ineffectual and that they're kind of, they're just idiots. And, in practice, that's true. I mean, there's some, there's so much adventurism and so much LARPing, and the, it just had never, it never came to fruition anywhere. I mean, even in 
fuck, even in Chiapas, like if we're serious, like they're the anarchists like to use like indigenous struggles as examples of anarchist successes, which is always strange to me because I've no, it's it's unclear whether people outside the leadership of those movements see themselves as anarchists mm-hmm. um, for one, but also it's like yeah, they're doing armed struggle to defend their land. Like, how does that... I could never square the circle in terms of like, okay, are you nationalists or not? Um, and thankfully, to their credit, Submedia recently did a half-hour kind of like info thing about, I think it was called Land and Freedom, hearkening back to whatever book or movie, anarchist, you know, text. Uh, but they were interviewing people about Palestine and this guy who was like a... I don't even know if he's an anarchist, but he was like a Palestinian, like theorist guy. He was like, fuck anybody who's telling us not to be nationalists, because in this context, you need a nation state to even Mm -hmm. get the conditions for survival. Right. So if you're white and you're he's like, it's a very white perspective. He's like, so if you're saying this, shut the fuck up, (laughs) which is, you know, funny. Um, And I agree. Uh, But, you know, you get the same. And then you have the ultra leftists who to me are people like, and this thankfully went out of fashion, but the communization theory, uh, which is based out of like some Italian thinkers in the seventies, primarily, um, end notes was the big series of texts, but, uh, they're constantly critical of the Kurdish project because they're, the Kurds are nationalists. Well, I'm sorry, but if you have Turkey, the U S Iraq, and Syria all trying to destroy you, then what the fuck are we talking about? Mm-hmm. I don't think nationalism is the problem in that context. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, or it is, but it's coming from right. the outside, not the Kurdish state or whatever. Uh, oh, so the, but the point, anyway, the, the point I'm kind of getting at in general is like, even in the most extreme, like militant anarchist setting, there's still this heavy nationalism. So it's like, are you really, are they even, are they even the anarchists anarchists ultimately? I, I don't know because their success stories seem to borrow from other people mm-hmm. who are, you know, getting shot at or whatever, uh, most of the time who may or may not even be anarchists. And so, like, I think, like, yeah, again, as a pre-revolutionary or, you know, intra-revolutionary move to try and proliferate fungally. I mean, again, we're talking specifically about media and culture. Mm -hmm. I think that works, you know, ultimately, but that should only be seen as a transitional period. Sure. As as sort of like a quasi-reformist period to try and inculcate into the population and then later activate that as a means to take power when Mm -hmm. fucking society collapses, which is coming. So I guess I agree. um, And I would just track Deleuze's own political trajectory to that. He, uh, Oh, well we had to come back to Marx. Okay. Then good. (laughs) Right. As it should be. Well, I don't want to cut this off, but uh, you and I, we're going to go to LA. I (laughs) got to get to bed. And I I got shit to do. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So no problem. Hey, I'll see you in Los Angeles. Yeah, same here.